Hey, what's up, tribe? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. In this episode, I chat with Georgina Davies, who is a massage therapist and TFC foot nerd based in Melbourne. We recorded this podcast while visiting Georgina and her family at their beautiful home, where they've got an amazing backyard food growing operation, which we discussed throughout the podcast, along with the story behind her passion for massage, sound healing, feet and footwear, and sustainable living. This week's episode is brought to you by the TFC shop here in Australia. We're always looking for new products that we can bring to our community that'll help them live the barefoot life that we're all about. And we're now pretty close to dropping the Down Under Tables, which is a ground living table just like the ones our pals from TFC Canada sent over to us. If you've been to one of our workshops or seminars or you've seen some of our podcast snippets on Instagram, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. They're our favorite piece of furniture in the apartment and we can't wait to bring them to our Aussie customers through tfc-shopaus.com. So, welcome to the podcast, George. Hey, thanks, James. Thanks so much for coming on. I've been really excited for this chat, and we're here in your beautiful home in mm-hmm. Melbourne, and on a quite a beautiful day after our barefoot nerd hike this morning mm-hmm. in the Dandenong Ranges, so it's been a really nice start to the day. Um, and I was saying to Andy on our podcast that we recorded the other day, just how awesome it is to have a tribe of amazing humans all over the place that we that we get to come and connect with and especially Melbourne is obviously quite a hotspot for, for all of you guys and yeah it's just been so great to come down and finally connect again in person after a long time of not being able to come down so mm-hmm. you know being able to travel down to Melbourne it's been over a year it's been almost a year and a half since we last came down with Nick so um, thanks so much for yeah. you know just being here and coming along to the workshop yesterday and um, and to invite it for inviting us into your home because it's it's a really special place here. Mm, thanks, James, so much. It's an absolute joy to have you and Mac here. And you're right, um, the Melbourne Nerd Group. It's just you know it's my tribe. <laughs> yeah. It feels amazing to be connected with so many like-minded people. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a really special thing. And and you've been a part of the Foot Nerd Tribe for a couple of years now, mm. or close to what is it? Close to two? Twenty twenty is kind of a write off. Yeah, so yeah. I really don't know now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Around that. Uh, yeah. Um, and it, it has been a real pleasure getting to know you in that time. But for those who obviously don't know you, um, I always like to just start with a bit about yourself. So what you do, mm-hmm. why you do it, from a personal or professional or both point of view. Mm-hmm. And yeah, tell us about yourself. Okay, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> we can go, so you can go many summary, answer. Yeah, or... summary, long version. Um, okay, well, currently uh, I am a massage therapist, although I'll start with I'm a mum. I feel like that's my big role <laughs> at this stage. Oh, well, all, you know, the whole time that my kids are here. Um, yeah, that's my prime job, really. Um So massage therapy is what I'm now doing that I've moved back to Melbourne. Um, We're sitting in my massage room right now. So you've had a bit of experience (laughs) of that today, a little bit. An amazing experience. Mm -hmm. And and you actually combine massage therapy with sound healing, which was a, I mean, I've done sound healing before and we only just did a a tiny, um, a tiny little taste, I suppose, Mm. um, doing some filming with Mac. Um, But Gee, that was powerful. Mm, <laughs> the use is. of the sound with the massage is such a a unique combination that I hadn't heard of before, mm. but then having experienced it just briefly then, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to give you a full massage so you can experience Absolutely. the whole package, you know, because uh, I work on energy in a few different ways. So obviously the manual massage, um, which is very intuitive. And then I find with the sound healing, as you could feel, it, it, there's, it's working on the vibration. And um, when you play these, the singing bowl and the drum and that close to water, like it actually you can see the vibration happening. And because we're made up of a lot of water, <laughs> it makes sense that it really can shift uh, energy on quite a deep level. So, yeah, I just find it's kind of a magical mix. It makes so mm. much sense. And I could really feel the vibrations, whether it was the bowl or the drum, and I'm not sure if you use other instruments as well, but those the vibrations for those, like the massage is one thing, but then 
the full body tingles you get mm. from the vibrations and the sound yeah. um, had its own real power and it almost felt like I was getting a full body massage just mm. from the sound. Yeah, that's right. And how did, so how did you get into that? Or just talk me through where you started with massage and how you started incorporating sound mm. healing into it. Well, going right back, I learned in 20, 2001 maybe is when I first studied massage. Um, going right back, I studied at uni doing PA teaching uh-huh. and it just wasn't the right fit for me at the time. So I've gone on a whole big journey and then I found myself in a corporate office job. Um, so that's where my feet got a little bit damaged from wearing oh. corporate wear. So we're trying to undo all of that time. <laughs> Um, And then on the side, I started studying massage. And I think it probably all comes back to when I was at school, I actually wanted to be a physiotherapy, a physiotherapist, Uh, but I didn't get the grades for that because I think it was like up in the 90s and Mm. I still got grades, you know, to get to uni. But um, yeah, I think I always just wanted, I think deep seated, there was this desire to work directly with the anatomy and the body and, you know. All of that. So I went and studied on the side uh, massage and I probably never actually thought that I'd still be doing it now because it's always been a side gig. But I, I'm quite, I guess, what you would say, spiritual and, and kind of get guided by my soul, if you want to <laughs> call it that. And I'm just drawn back to this work. And it makes sense that this work is kind of needed right now because people are living such hectic, busy lives and uh, we don't slow down sometimes. And so to book in to get a session, it's just this beautiful time for people to be completely nurtured. And, you know, that's, that's what I want to provide, whether it's 60 minutes or 90 minutes, this time that's just purely the focus of the client. And it, it goes beyond the session as well, you know, like they sleep really well generally. And it's, um, yeah, a beautiful I don't know, the massage that keeps going for a few days or whatever until they're ready for another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think there is something really powerful in that. And I know lately, especially with the research around manual therapy and massage and traditionally the narrative has been that, you know, you're loosening up fascia or, you know, you um, yeah, undoing muscle knots and all of these things. Mm. And a lot of the research lately, especially in the physio world, uh, there's been a bit of a, a pushback or a backlash against that kind of um, explanation mm-hmm. of how manual therapies work. But I, again, I was chatting to Mick the other day, who's a myotherapist, and he combines his myotherapy with movement training. And we were just talking about the importance of having um, set times where someone can connect with another human and, and using touch as a mm. facilitator of connection and just what you said there that it goes so much deeper than just you know even that touch is an an important very important thing for human health and there is actually good research behind that Um, but the fact that they get that period of time that they're taking to themselves to either relax and you know unwind and you know take away stress and like you said that has overflowing effects into their Mm -hmm. other aspects of their life like sleep and and you also get the uh, opportunity to build a, a good connection and a rapport with someone, in which case they start to listen to more of the things that you say around the other pillars of health. Mm. And, and you can have conversations with them on a more on a deeper level mm-hmm. that can have bigger and bigger effects in, in all other aspects. It's not just about the massage. Yep. And so I think that is that is really special. And. So I remember you said you started with sports massage. Yeah, yeah. And so tell me about the progression from, you know, sports massage to what you're doing now with the sound and everything. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I started off primarily with sports massage, um, probably because I was competing in athletics at the time and I was surrounded by athletes and uh, also um, swimmers with the surf club. So they were my main clientele people with you know ripped bodies and <laughs> actual real um sporting injuries and things so i love that because i i mean i love the anatomy of the human body um and i still have some clients that i do that type of massage with and i i love dropping back into that but it's kind of very different to where i'm at now and i think my massage has really evolved to how my personal journey has gone on a bit of a spiritual or personal growth. Um, 
And I guess now I've just, I haven't overthought what I do. I've just brought in tools that I love and feel good for me. And so I just keep bringing in these things. I probably need to stop now with what I <laughs> offer. I mean, you know, it's good to evolve as time goes on, but I keep bringing new things in like a cup of tea and an Oracle card and this and that. And clients often go home with honey or something oh. from our garden. It's like, okay, that's probably enough now. Um, but yeah, so where I'm at now, I don't know. I've, as I said, I haven't really overthought it. I've just listened to what feels right and maybe and I truly believe it's like what my clients are, are seeking and yeah. needing and I'm getting great feedback from it without trying you know you just do what you do I'm not love. surprised because yeah. <laughs> it was an amazing experience even not having the full experience but so obviously you didn't necessarily study how to combine massage no. and sound healing but where did the interest in sound healing come about um well, it started with my Tibetan singing bowl. And how did that start? I don't know. I mean, well, my whole journey with all of these, if you want to call them woo-woo things, <laughs> would you call it that for lack of better words? Oh, I don't know. Ancient traditional stuff. Some people stuff. would call them woo-woo, but, you know, there's... Yeah. Yeah, some people call it woo-woo who maybe don't understand That's quantum physics and, exactly. you know, vibrations yeah. and energy and everything, yeah. but yes. <laughs> yeah, um... Well, look, it goes right back to I had postnatal depression with Josh, my first child, um, 13 years ago. And I ended up just going on this, it was like catapulted me into this journey of kind of self-reflection and discovery. And that's when like the spiritual stuff started happening, you know, got into oracle cards and then into meditation. And, and I think once you kind of open the door on that, then things like sound healing and that come into your path. Mm -hmm. So I can't quite remember when I first came across <laughs> it. I do know I bought my Tibetan singing bowl when we lived in the country because I used to take it across the lake on the boat with me because um, I massaged in town. So I do remember that I had it then. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think I was at a meditation and they did the drum. So I took an interest up in that and then went to a workshop to make this drum here. Mm. And yeah. was it was it... How did you find sort of initially including the sound healing into a massage? Like, was it, did you just sort of pick the right client who you knew would be open yeah. to it? And <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Like, so, um, yeah, I think because it's, I, I don't know, I think there's probably an element of fearing that it will be laughed at maybe because it's quite different in a way. So I went quite slowly with it and chose my clients to do it on. And then as soon as you get a little bit of, I guess, positive feedback with that and you know it's helping people, then you're like, great, we'll do more of this. And then made the drum and incorporated that. And I do both of them, the Tibetan singing bowl and the drum, because I feel that they work on the upper and lower chakras because I work with chakras. Are you familiar with the chakras? Mm, like the somewhat, energy system? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the, the um, singing bowl tends to work with the upper chakras, like up through heart chakra right up, and it's kind of up into the cosmic realm. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes your mind. I don't know if you experienced it just before in the massage, if it, it's kind of meditative. Yeah, It's absolutely. in the mind. Absolutely. Whereas the drums are lower chakras, and it's like really tribal and grounding. And that just brings us back down to like, it's almost like the heartbeat of the earth, you know? Yeah, felt like that. And I think that's a lot of clients know it's something special, but then sometimes not sure what it is. And I think it's just that it's coming back to our roots and our tribal connection to the earth, you know, mm. that tribal beat kind of thing. Yeah. And if I that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think, I mean... I said before, people who don't understand quantum physics and everything, yeah. I, I don't understand, fully understand no. quantum physics and I don't understand, obviously, all the inner workings of the universe mm. and energy and everything. But once you do understand that everything, uh, like that, first of all, human bodies are electromagnetic yep. and uh, essentially when you get down to the molecular and atomic level are uh, vibrations mm -hmm. um, and subatomic level, uh, then it makes a lot of sense that working with sound and and I guess different frequencies mm -hmm. can have an amazing healing effect on the body as long as it isn't laughed off. If pe yeah, yeah. Because the, what, again, what they're finding in hard research and, you know, like not alternative research 
is that the power of belief to change mm. your physiology is very big. And so if you have an experience with whether it's sound or movement or um, light or, mm-hmm. or dance or, you know, whatever, and you believe that that experience is significant for you and that will help your healing, then it will help your yeah. healing. And that does actually change your physiology. And, and there's, I mean, so much research behind that, even mm. in the physio research about um, your beliefs around, say, back pain will affect how much back pain you have and mm-hmm. the rapport and therapeutic alliance you have with your practitioner is a bigger indicator of a, an outcome mm-hmm. than the actual modality itself. And so I think that's really powerful for people to comprehend is that, yes, some of these things might seem alternative and they're different to your tr- traditional pharmaceuticals and surgeries and you know even your traditional, um, I guess, allied health therapies. But if someone has an amazing experience like that, then like we talked about before, it can carry over Mm. majorly into other aspects of their life. And it's, I think the important part is making sure that people are empowered to make those changes in their life and to understand how to take that healing and from whatever modality they've um, experienced and take that into their daily life in a way that makes them feel more in control of their own health and their own, mm. um, yeah, their own life. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And would you mind <laughs> showing us a little bit of sound healing? I don't know how well it'll come through the mics. The yeah. mics are pretty good, but just for people to get a little bit of a taste of what they sound like. And obviously they won't be able to feel the vibrations, mm. but you know, just to, to understand a little bit about that and, Apologies in advance to anyone listening if it's it a little loud, just, you know, just in case, yeah. maybe turn the volume down and then and then slowly creep it back up. But we're going to start with the bowl by yep. the look of it. Okay, cool. Obviously, I'm playing it, but it's just different every time. As in, you'll hear it differently as well? Yeah. yeah. I mean, clients probably, yeah, wouldn't know from each different session. But yeah. for me, it just definitely plays different. It's yeah. fascinating. And is that like a tone thing, like the tone that it creates or just the, like, or is it a bit hard? I imagine it might be a bit hard to describe. Yeah, kind of all of that. And I'm not... Um, super musical and not in tune <laughs> like i haven't I, yeah don't luckily get me there's singing. only one tune yeah, you don't have to don't get me doing like the healing you know some people do singing as like a oh, healing yeah. it's amazing oh i've been, actually i I've, won't be doing that i went to a yoga session and i think there is there's a lot of power in combining modalities like you've done with massage and sound healing i went to a yoga session that was followed up by a sound healing session and this guy there's an actual word for it it's throat singing but he Mm. can sing in like two or three different tones at once and that was insane and it just yeah it's something about it that what however you want to describe it or i guess rationalize it it just gives you an experience that can allow you to tap into something deeper whether it's in your subconscious Mm. or you know it's yeah it's it's an experience that can be very powerful and um yeah like that having that bowl, you know, I could feel you sort of, or I could hear it, I suppose, moving around, you know, Mm. starting on the left and then bringing it around the front and then onto the right. And then each time would be a slightly different experience, but Mm. they also kind of accumulated. Yeah. So, yeah. And sometimes it just gets the highest pitch. And if I can hold it on that, it's just amazing. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And Mm. You get, you do actually get a, I don't know if it came through in the mics, but you get that sort of mix of bass from the, from the, I guess the tap on the bowl. And for those of you, obviously you can't see it. It's this 
I guess, me- is it metal bowl? Yeah. Yeah, that kind of looks like a, a dinner bowl, I suppose. Um, There's a story behind that. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah? can you tell us a story? So from my understanding, like <laughs> I've read this somewhere, um, Buddhist monks, so they would make these metal bowls to eat from, mm. but they would also then play it as a meditative tool. So they would eat and play in the same metal bowl. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, right. From my understanding, that might be yeah. completely wrong, but that's what I've read. It would make sense. Yeah, yeah. And so... You hit that and then you basically are revolving this mallet around mm. the outside of the bowl. And so you get the, the base tones of the, of the whack and mm. then it get, you get this higher and higher in pitch as you move around the bowl. And it actually takes a bit of finesse. I, I used to play with one in my grandparents' house and it takes a bit of finesse to actually keep the mallet lightly on the bowl without, brrr, yeah. without sort of rattling. Yeah. And, but when you get it right, it's, it's a really immersive experience Mm -hmm. that does, like I was getting, like I said, full body tingles from that, uh, immersive experience. And I really didn't want it to stop, but, (laughs) but, um, five minutes worth. (laughs) Yeah. And now we've got the drum. Drum? All right. We'll see how it goes. I'm not sure how it will go with the, oh yeah. Yeah. It's all right. So actually just start like that. As you saw before, I had to warm it up because it was, yeah. uh, I don't know how to describe it, but it was really dull kind of sound. And then, because it's, it's um, deer hide. Right. Made with deer hide. And, and did you say you made that one at a mm-hmm. workshop or? Yeah, the workshop. So it's got like all writing in it and different things. Yeah. So cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to try and, I'm going to have to do that. I think Nick was experimenting with making a drum actually. Yeah. And um, that one looks... It looks really cool and mm. I'd love to have a drum to play. And you're right, it, there is something that taps into our ancestral heritage mm. there with the beat. It's, it's the most sort of primal of instruments and humans have been using sounds like that and especially bass and rhythm uh, to connect and mm. to, you know, obviously the most obvious example is dancing by a fire to a drum beat mm-hmm. and... They'd use that to, you know, in spiritual ceremonies or when preparing for war um, and, you know, obviously different aspects of their life. But a lot of it was to do with connection and helping the survival and and thrival, <laughs> the surviving yeah. and the thriving of the tribe. Yeah. And so I think it's really cool to bring that back into our modern life for people who probably may have never experienced that except for maybe, you know, in music class at school, but definitely in a different context and not in such a, yeah, not in such a um, personal situation. Mm. And yeah, I I just love it. And, And in the massage experience, you know, the hands were one thing, but then having the drum played close to your body you can feel the Mm. vibrations and Mm -hmm. as you move it you moved it from my back all the way down Mm -hmm. um and I could feel the vibrations changing in each one and again it was like it was like the drum was massaging me but through just the air and yeah thanks thanks for being so open to that as well you know oh experience yeah um also with when I finish massage I actually pound on the feet like through the towel Ah. and it's like just to and I talk to my clients just to kind of bring them back because after the sound healing they tend to go off (laughs) you know on this they're not quite in their body so we come back down and I think the pounding of the feet as well I mean that's super grounding absolutely yeah and you can imagine a whole heap of drums going at once to a rhythm and standing on the ground and Mm. feeling all these vibrations go through your feet Mm -hmm. there'd be there'd be really something powerful about that 
Yeah. And maybe feet could be a good one, good topic for us to get onto. So obviously yeah. you, you were, you're interested <laughs> in feet <laughs> and like you said, you've had your own journey with your foot health mm-hmm. um, from years of um, being in a corporate job and I guess mm-hmm. having to have a, a certain dress code of high heels, was it? Uh, you, we probably didn't, but yeah, that's what I wore. That <laughs> high was, heels and pointy. Norm. Yeah. Wow. You got to have pointy shoes. Ooh. So yeah, talk to me, talk to me about feet and how you got into, I suppose, into the foot collective mm-hmm. and your own journey and yeah, like what, what experiences you've had with clients, um, mm-hmm. in terms of feet and, and I know that's a lot, but yeah. yeah, sure. And let me know if I go off topic cause I tend to <laughs> rant a bit. So, um, well the whole feet. So I have always just gravitated to being barefoot, you know, like I remember, my parents saying, you know, get shoes on before you go outside and stuff. Like I just always ran around with bare feet and had a gravel driveway and just ran up and down. So I think it, I mean, it's generally a kid thing, isn't it? That you go barefoot, Yeah. but it's always felt really good. And then as I've gotten older, I still consciously would take my shoes off and go ground because I knew about earthing and grounding mm. and I just felt better from doing that. Um, uh, and then Andy, so Andy Bryant got me into the Foot Collective. Um, so super grateful because it's been the best decision to go down that path. And just obviously the education I've learned um, just makes so much sense to me and, mm-hmm. and made made sense. Like I wish I'd known all this back when I was competing in athletics or in the corporate job, right? Because I always knew the high heels and pointy shoes felt terrible, but I kept wearing them, mm-hmm. <laughs> which blows me away that I did that. But we, we did, all did I, it. I didn't know any different. We all did it. And you just think that that's how shoes feel yeah, or something. Like I terrible. remember <laughs> my first physio job, I got a, uh, like all the physios would wear RM Williams boots. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, RM Williams, they cost 500 bucks. They're well-made boots. Wow. And so I went and bought some and spent every day in them and was like, mom, my feet hurt. And, yeah. but I, I mean, funnily enough, I'd already been, well, I think I was already across the concept of wearing barefoot shoes by that time mm. i know in fact i definitely was because i wore vibram shoes to my to a job um like a vacation care job that i did uh while i was in uni so i was already across the need for you know just the fact that sh- feet should just be feet and you should mm. need, you know support them as minimally as possible but it was the culture of the clinic and you sort of rationalize it by going, oh, these are well-made boots that last me years, so I'll just buy them. Definitely. But then, so I did, even I knew better at the time, mm. but it, for some reason it didn't compute that I would be like, actually, I don't want to wear these yeah. and <laughs> I really shouldn't be wearing them for my foot health. So mm. yeah, that's an interesting thing. Oh, but, totally. I think, as you said, we're, we were all probably like that, right? Yeah. Until you just think, well, hang on, my, my body has been telling me this whole time that this isn't the way to go, yeah. <laughs> right? With you're the getting, pain getting and the bunions or whatever it is, or ingrown toenails. Yeah, so um, like my little toe is like really squashed and I think that's just from wear- wearing super narrow shoes and pointy shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through my running time, because I competed in different events, 800 metres on track was my main prime event, I had just so many injuries really hip injuries and I spent so much money going to different physios I was at uni at the time so I had no money (laughs) and I just spent all the money I had on dry needling cortisone injection into my hip right all this stuff and it just never got better mind you I was doing a lot of desk sitting as well Mm. you know I wish now I knew more about just moving more (laughs) you know most common sense stuff um (laughs) But what happened is there was a physio that did a gait analysis on me and he's like, I did it with shoes on my ASICs I was wearing at the time and running barefoot. And he said, oh, wow, you, you run so much better barefoot. But the conversation didn't go any further, James. Like that was it. And I didn't know any better because there weren't really minimal shoes on the market or anything. Mm. And I was running track, so I didn't think I could run barefoot. So, but it fascinates me that someone actually could identify you look biomechanically better running barefoot than in shoes. Like I kind of just don't run properly in shoes. 
but it's fascinating that the conversation ended that's there it. and it wasn't like, oh, you should run more barefoot. It was like, oh, you run better barefoot. Yeah, that's and it. maybe just, I mean, I don't know what they said after that, but oh, you know, it's probably remember. like, but you need shoes You'll for get support anyway. or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, anyway. Let's get orthotics to make you run more like you're barefoot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're something, you know? And like, I just, it blows my mind that that was conversations I had in the past. Anyway, mm. um, injury after injury, kept competing up until I had my first child actually fell pregnant and didn't realize I was pregnant, still competing, wondering oh. why I was competing pretty averagely when mm. I'd been training so well, wow. pregnant. Huh. Anyway, um, and then I stopped competing in track after that. Um, not intentionally, I just didn't go back into it. But what I did do is go back into surf lifesaving competition after my second son. So that's 2K running on sand um, and beach sprinting, no shoes. Yes. Trained hard. Felt amazing, felt the strongest I've probably ever been after having two kids. No injuries, barefoot mm. running. There you Say go. no more. <laughs> Had you changed job as well or were you still in that same corporate Well, of job? course, there's all other aspects to yes. that, right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I was home with the kids, but I was still sitting. Like I'd sit on the couch, yeah. and, you know. But yeah. yes, I think um, the factor of not wearing heels and would absolutely contribute. Yeah. But I just was running free. With yeah. no shoes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so much power in that. And yeah. so how long ago was that? That was... Uh, that would have been... I guess... 2012. 2012. That was my last... And then we moved away to the country. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so I want to come back to the country sure. part. Yeah. But so then um, you came... And then you came back to Melbourne how many years ago? Like a few years ago? Um, a couple 2018, years ago? 2018 we returned here. Yeah. Yeah. And it wouldn't have, would have been a year or so after that you joined up with the Foot Collective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then have you found that you've been able to uh, incorporate any of those learnings or teachings with your clients? Is it, you know, do you do any footwork or foot massage or is it more of just conversations that you have with them? Mm, I... Um a lot of my clients probably follow me on Instagram. So they see that I post in my stories about the Foot Collective and that. So it does start a lot of conversations. And like I've got Andy's card here, Reclaim Your Feet oh, yes. postcard up there. Very cool. And basically I probably don't prompt it with my clients, but if there's an obvious thing going on, we address it. Do you know what I mean? Because they're, they're not they're not here for their feet. Yeah. I, I do refer a lot to Andy. Um but as I get to know them, it always comes up in conversation because they also ask sometimes why I'm barefoot. Like I'll go and greet them outside and it's freezing cold and I'll be barefoot. <laughs> and they, you know, so it starts That's a, a great conversation. Starts starter. a conversation and having the roller, the TFC lacrosse rollers in the, in the massage room and the beams, you know, mm. it all just starts conversation. So it often does come up, but I don't. Uh, like they're not necessarily here for the feet, yes. but when I can weave it into the conversation and if it's definitely going to help them, um, obviously from a postural perspective and all the ground living and all of that. Yeah. yeah. We bring it, we bring the magic of TFC yeah. into the conversation. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and I imagine as well that, cause I've had that, that sort of banging percussive stuff on my feet before yeah. um, in acupuncture sessions mm -hmm. and I imagine because that always feels good. Yeah. <laughs> and so I imagine people like, oh, I don't know. I don't know, actually. But people might say, oh, that felt really good on my foot. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, the foot yeah, you know, does crave load and, yeah. and um, sensation, sen you know, sensory things. And so that that I imagine could be a good way to yeah. um, start the conversation as yeah. well. And everyone always wants their feet massaged. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. And out of interest with foot massage i know there's you know reflexology and everything mm. that sort of taps into the connections of the feet but mm -hmm. um, with other body parts have you looked into that much at all no or? but yeah. that's really come into my vision to maybe go do a course in reflexology mm. or study that um because it makes sense like i am massaging the feet intuitively and understanding the anatomy but not the direct connection yeah. But I think that would be a next progressive step for me to go learn that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, it is, it's really cool to have you in the tribe. And, and this Thanks. is the big thing that I love about the Foot Collective is that, yeah, you don't have to be seeing people for their feet in order mm -hmm. for you to help them make a change with their feet. Because we do have these resources like Andy and Mick, mm -hmm. and, you know, this big nerd tribe in Melbourne. 
and people who specialize in different areas. And it's all about, you know, us, you know, if we have a collective of people who are on the same wavelength who can go, look, this is an important part of your health, mm-hmm. of your FIDA, your foundation. If you want to learn more, you know, let's let's talk about it. Or, you know, if you are having specific problems, then I know the person that you can go and see. And it, and it gets them in this network and this web of people who are mm-hmm. all obviously v- have the mindset that they want to help people, um, you know, with natural holistic health. And that feet can be a really good gateway into... Um, into that kind of lifestyle, the sort of the barefoot, quote yep. unquote, barefoot life. That's great. Like even to have Claire quite close, you know, I've referred um, a client to her and yeah, it's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. So Claire, Claire uh, Wakefield from Natural yep. Body Lab, we did a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago on food and um, yeah, she's based down in here in Melbourne as well. Mm-hmm. So and she's a naturopath and yeah, it's just such a cool mixture of people mm-hmm. and it's so important that we do have that mix of experiences and backgrounds so that we know who can go to who, um, when, when it's needed. Yeah. Yeah. And, but sometimes it is just a conversation with someone Mm. saying, you know, footwear matters and what you do with your feet matters. And that's Mm -hmm. often, that's just not on people's radar at all. And they go, Oh, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Mm. And for some people it resonates really hard and they change it, change their lifestyle. And for some people they go, Oh, you know, they're not ready for that change and and that's okay as well. Some people need to, have the um, the impetus of pain to yeah. push them in a certain direction, and some people are, are open to those new ideas that are very logical when you when you think about the human body yeah. um, as it just as an organism <laughs> of the earth. <laughs> so, speaking of the barefoot life, mm. we like I obviously actually have a blog on my website called the Barefoot Life, which just goes through the fact that it. The barefoot life goes a lot deeper than just being barefoot and it's about mm-hmm. connecting with the nature, our own nature as humans and the, and the fact that we are part of nature, we're not separate in some way and, mm-hmm. and modern society in, in every way really is set up to disconnect us from nature and we all seem to be suffering the symptoms of that disconnection mm-hmm. um, and whether that's physical pain, mental pain and so on. And so... In that blog, I talk about how living the barefoot life, part of that is going barefoot more, more often. And, you know, other aspects of living the barefoot life would be things like connecting with nature through growing your own food or finding your own food, cooking, preparing, um, and sort of caring for the environment in different ways. And I know you've, your experience living uh, out in the country or um, sort of more rurally mm-hmm. and um with sort of sustainability and agriculture like your own sort of home-based agriculture mm-hmm. uh is really fascinating to me and and we've just been doing a whole max been filming a whole story about what you're doing here in in suburbia rewilding mm-hmm. in suburbia <laughs> so let, let's just talk to me a bit about that and where that's where that interest has come from and how it's developed and and where you mm-hmm. are now okay um that's a big question. <laughs> it is, yeah. Sorry, you can, you no, can no. do the short, short version. Yeah, no, I, okay. So I guess there's two parts. It's like the future of our kids, you know, where that's heading. And that's also intuitively how I'm feeling. So yes, we lived in the country for four years for my husband's work on a campus uh, for year nine students to come and stay for eight weeks. And we they learnt about sustainability of the environment, community and personal so yep. students would come and stay for eight weeks in yeah. a row. So yeah, That's from amazing. Melbourne. So a wow. Melbourne school um, owned this campus. Uh, well, oh. they own this campus, and it's a residential. So we stayed there with like sixteen other teachers, staff, oh, ground right. staff, the farmer, <laughs> the dog, the resident dog, um, remotely. So it's on. It was on. It's on the other side of Melakuta Lake. Uh-huh. Uh, so to get in there, it was like a thirty-minute drive on a dirt road from the highway or by boat for 20 minutes across the lake. Yeah, so we lived there in the national parkland. Like there's this, it was an old dairy farm that the school bought, but it's actually in the national parkland. So we had deer, we'd find antlers all the time, we'd find lyrebird feathers all the time. It was an amazing experience. Incredible, yeah, yeah. 
And so you were essentially running this camp or, Steve, or part of running. Yeah, Steve was the director there mm-hmm. and um, director of, of the campus and amazing, amazing position and job. And he loved it. It was his favorite job, like walk, you know, wear farm clothes and walk to work. It takes 20 <laughs> seconds to walk up to the office, you know, live there. It was amazing. Um and we lived there as a family. And so I took the kids to school by boat every day across the Malakuta Lake. Never had boating experience in my <laughs> life. I had to go and learn how to drive a stabby craft speedboat. And it would get really wild on the lake there. Like it looks calm, but it's like full on waves. Yeah. I'll show you some footage of it. When you're going fast. Oh, <laughs> full on. Yeah. It was amazing. Like we'd stop after school and go jetty jumping. There's pelicans, seals, we'd go fishing, we'd just take the kayaks out after school and go catch dinner. <laughs> Jeez, I'm getting jealous here. <laughs> I it just like this part of How me is like, oh, up? I wish I was still in the I was in the TFC when we we're living there because mm. you guys to come up and visit, you would have loved it. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's st- is it still operating? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It's st- well, yeah, it is. And the fires went through Melakuta, you know, oh. those horrible bushfires. Right. Um, but the f- farm marsh meat actually didn't get damaged oh. it was amazing all around it was taken out and the farm stayed so <laughs> wow yeah. that's pretty cool yeah so now i've lost train of thought James. So, so well and so part as part of that camp were you essentially growing food and showing and teaching kids how to grow food and prepare is that is that sort of where that came yeah in? well look we were already growing things in melbourne before we moved there that right. was already something we were doing um yeah, that was a small part of it. I mean, the whole focus was sustainability. So the students didn't sit in a maths class as such, but they would apply their maths and their science to real living situations. So calculating how much energy they collected that day through the solar panels or, you know, um, writing an essay on how we can help this community thrive and be sustainable. Do you know what I mean? So it wasn't Absolutely. like mainstream... It's how education should be, I was right? just about to say, this is exactly how <laughs> schools should be set up. Yeah. So 100% of the time. Yeah. Just the girls would, you know, they just, they do farm, farm skills and they'd go out, they'd do solo. So one day they would go out and be on their own for six hours on the solo trip. Mine, like they were 20 meters apart. They were all in the same area. But some of those year nine girls just find it difficult to be alone no mm. technology they had no phones no so there was no good. makeup or anything you know it was just living remotely for eight weeks yeah. and, and i know you've told me about this yeah. before but for some reason it hadn't hit me so deep just how mm. special that would have been for both you and for the kids doing that experience did you find that they were some of them resistant to it or did they really just get into it and love it? The students, yeah. It was funny watching them when they arrive. They arrive on the bus and they walk through, they walk 5K into the property holding their pillows <laughs> and some of them would be crying because they were too, they were terrified of doing this big adventure. These city kids, you know, it's yeah. a pretty big deal. Away, no internet, no, you know. Um, and then they would, those same girls that were crying when they arrived would cry when they left because they didn't want to leave. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's always the way. Literally for many of the girls, like I can say it's life-changing because yeah. they've actually tracked what the girls then do later on in life. And so many of them do jobs or careers that are, are something that they've learned at Marshmead. You know, help basically something that's helping the planet and helping humanity. That <laughs> like is it's pretty so powerful. Amazing. Not for everyone, but, yeah. you know, and then some had to go home or whatever. Of course, year nines, there's always going to be yeah. some drama. <laughs> yeah. But real life changing. And it was life changing for our family too. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. And so did, did you feel that you expanded your skills in terms of sustainable agriculture? And like, you've got such mm-hmm. an amazing setup here that we've just been checking out with hydroponic thing uh, hydroponic setups with fish and you've got chickens and you've got you know a lot of raised garden beds and and beehives so did your skills really expand in in that experience um not so much with that actually because marshmead they they do a bit of growing food but 
Personally, I think they could do a whole lot more, but that's not the focus. It's almost mm. to give the girls a snippet of different aspects of sustainable living. Yeah. So like we've got compost and they do have a garden bed, but it's not the prime focus. Like there's little bits. Mm-hmm. Um, what we did learn a lot of is just about sustainability and caring for the planet more, you know, mm. and about food mileage, for example. Like the girls learn about food mileage. So being more aware where your food actually comes from is more... You know, I mean, they do do the veggie garden, the gardening, but it's the other aspects of it as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, that taught our family more about those side of things and just being more conscious about consumerism and what impact you're making on the planet, you mm. know? It's very easy to yeah. completely forget yeah. or be completely disconnected from what food you're eating and what impacts that that is having and you know, on the planet and on your body. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of vested interest, I suppose, in people remaining ignorant or remaining um, nescient, I suppose, mm. of just not being aware of the fact that that does have an impact. Mm-hmm. And it's something that Mac and I have been looking a lot more into over the past year or, uh, or year or two in terms of where our food is coming from and, and, the effect on soil health and mm-hmm. that, that effect on environmental health as a whole. And we've signed up for this regenerative agriculture. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, a farm called Echo Valley Farms yeah. and they do all of this ro- rotational grazing and Amazing. regenerative agriculture. And they have a, a program like a community supported agriculture program where we pay a monthly fee and we get a box of um, very high quality meat that's been raised mm. and loved and uh, has been put towards the the health of the earth rather than the destruction of the Brilliant. earth. And, <laughs> and we just feel so, so much better about yeah. eating it. And, you know, whether or not it's placebo or whatever, it doesn't matter, but it tastes better. We feel mm-hmm. better after eating it. And even just the fact that it's in our fridge makes us even more likely to want to go to um, some farmers markets and organic. There's a luckily for us, there's an organic farmers market that's not too far from our place that mm-hmm. opens on Sundays, Northy Street, and so we go there for the veggies and we just try. You know, it's building. Even if it's that just little bit extra of building a connection of where your food's coming mm-hmm. from and talking to the people that it's coming from, and Max done a whole story on his on his platform stories told on the Echo Valley Farms. And we're just really excited to keep finding people that are doing those things um, around Australia because there are there are so many people doing those things, mm-hmm. but they don't get enough airtime because maybe you know they don't have the finances to really publicize themselves a lot, mm-hmm. or usually they're just very humble people who you know are just doing their thing mm-hmm. and they they have enough support. But maybe if more people saw, like say if more farmers saw that story and understood what they were doing, then they would go, oh, maybe I should change my practices. And then that can have a flow on and a ripple effect in Mm -hmm. so many other areas. And I think it's just really, that's why I'm stoked at what Mac's doing with Stories Told is because those stories need to be told and they're not being told often enough and they're not being seen often enough and... And that's another reason why we were so excited to come here and tell your story. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to hear what you're, you know, what you're doing because I'm 100% on the same page with that, Mm. you know? Yeah. And growing, I mean, I think I haven't actually experimented much with growing my own food. Uh, My parents have a big backyard and they do their best to grow their own food, but it's very um, suburban, they've got a big block, but it's very suburban and not very great soil for it. Mm. And, um, my dad's done such a cool job in in the garden. They've had that place for 30 years. And when it first started, it was just a a hill with grass (laughs) (laughs) and now it's this flourishing, um, beautiful terraced gardened Mm. area. And, and I love spending time there, but, um, growing food is a, is a bit of a tougher thing there. Mm. Um, But, and then I've moved into an apartment after that. And yeah. so, you know, we tried growing herbs, but kind of failed because our balcony gets so uh, much sunlight. Yeah. And, but now with Bush One and moving into my partner's home mm-hmm. um, in the coming months, then we'll have a lot more uh, space and accessibility to start experimenting with growing food and, and seeing your setup here has just been the most amazing 
an inspiring thing because you just see what's possible. Like, and this is your whole concept. Um, and you've got an ebook called rewilding in suburbia, which I'll be digging right into <laughs> because people think, I, I guess people get this idea that it's all or nothing. Like they either live in suburbia and they do suburban things or they live out bush uh, and just completely connect with nature and do it that way. But there is a, a lot of middle ground that you can explore. Um, mm. And you've basically summarized all of that into a book and from your own experiences and, and obviously from the books that you've read. So mm. uh, I just think that's, that's really cool. And I'm feeling very inspired by it. Cool. And so... <laughs> I guess tell us about your experience coming from that that sort of more much more immersive experience with um, sustainability and everything, and then coming back into suburbia and sort of building out what you've got now. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I didn't really foresee that I would um, feel the way that I do really, because I mean I'm from Melbourne. I thought I would just easily transition back into the city life, but it's been a bit tricky actually you know because mm. I'm used to so much space and I'm used to seeing the horizon and mm. yeah so it's um we've got plans to move to con- coastal country when the children are a bit older yeah. but currently we're we're here so I feel that we need to just be as wild as we can in a suburban block <laughs> <laughs> it's almost my aim so I've got the TP and I sleep you know sleep out there Oh, really? You sleep out there? Cool. I just don't want to be inside. Yeah. Yeah, So we're just, I guess we're just trying to do what we can here, what we can do, you know. Um, Ideally, I'd love to be off grid, but we're not right there yet. You Mm. know, we we still don't have solar panels. That's the next step. But just gradually doing everything that we can to, well, be as self-sustainable as we can. Like it's not... We're not full on extreme producing our own, <laughs> I don't Farm. know, yeah. everything, yeah. but we're doing what we can do. And it's been a gradual process too, obviously, like this place looks completely different to what it started off as. There were no, there was no food growing here when we first bought the place. So it's been a gradual. And now there's heaps. <laughs> gradual stage. Yeah. And, and like you said, you know, it's maybe you're not able to completely self-sustain and to grow everything that you eat. But mm-hmm. imagine if everyone everyone was using their block like you're using yeah. it and growing, you know, even 25% of the food that they eat. Mm-hmm. Imagine the impact that would have on the food miles and just all of these environmental impacts that the human food system is having. Mm-hmm. Because that would be 25% less. Yep. Huge. It's Even just... our lawns out the front there. Like, well, that's our next step is we want to dig up that lawn. We need to get council <laughs> approval, oh, apparently. Right. Of course. But um, I say that with my eyes rolling. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like all the lawns out there, why don't just have fruit <laughs> trees, miniature fruit trees and stuff, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> this makes more sense, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. And, yeah, it's... It is just, I think it is really important that people understand that it isn't about doing everything. Mm. It's about doing something, something, something different, some, some kind of step in the right direction. Even if that is just dabbling in a herb garden mm-hmm. and it fails, it's still a learning experience. Mm. And, you know, you might get a few herbs and you put it on and, and herbs always taste better when you grow them yourself and food just tastes better when yeah. you're growing it yourself. And... Or even if it is the case that you live in an apartment like we do currently and you just have to go to, you know, go to the second step of connecting with your food, which is knowing the people who grow your food and knowing where it's coming from and Mm -hmm. knowing what kind of quality um, it is. And yeah, it all it all helps. And I just love that the things that we do for environmental health help our health and the things that we do for our health help environmental health we're not separate from the environment Mm -hmm. and this comes back to that this illusion of separateness that we have from this earth Mm -hmm. which is really the at the core of so many issues and it's not about being perfect i'm not perfect you're not perfect perfect. no one's perfect (laughs) maybe some people are like completely self-sustaining but but it's about yeah it's about acknowledging that and really um having that appreciation for what the earth does for us and what for what our body does for us and to give back to it as much as mm-hmm. we can. So yeah. definitely. And so like, not just the food, it's everything, you know, like mm. I love um, going to bulk 
bulk health foods, you know, and buying things in my bags that I've already got, you know, so I'm not getting plastic bags and, you know, even products like using soap bars or whatever, rather than having a plastic container and all of those things, you know. And there's so many of those things popping up lately. Mm. Like there's, I've even seen these toothpaste bits mm. where it's no, <laughs> uh, no packaging toothpaste where you get, um, yeah, these little, I don't know, they're like little pellets, I suppose, yeah. that are natural, natural toothpaste and you chew on them and then you brush your teeth with them mm-hmm. and then you don't have all these toothpaste tubes. And I can think of, I actually can't think of more off the top of my head, but I know that I've seen all of these te- sort of quote unquote technologies popping up that allow us to, uh, well, another one is, um, you know, deodorants that yeah. I use, like these natural deodorants that are 20 times more effective than your ordinary deodorant, mm-hmm. but they're made of essential oils and bicarb as yeah. it is the one that I use and I can wipe that on my underarm in the morning and I can do a full day of movement and I I can still sweat but I don't smell yeah and it's not harming <laughs> you and it's not you harming know, whereas me, yeah. the other stuff like it's can be linked to cancers and all these things so you're right if we do things that are right for our body it helps the planet yeah and vice versa yeah right? yeah exactly and yeah, I mean, we could, I'm sure we could talk about this forever, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the message there is that we all have some power. It, I've found it myself where I, you can feel like the world's problems are so huge and humanity's impacts on the earth are just getting to the point that they're irreversible and that it's like, oh, well, what's the point of doing anything? You know, it's all just going, going to shit anyway. Um, but being around people like you and immersing yourself in these kinds of conversations and videos and, you know, watching stories like Max on stories told and all of these things really help inspire you and just make you aware that you can make a difference, even if it's the tiniest difference for the earth. But even in that case, you'd be making a huge difference on your own health. And, and yeah, I just I just love that, and uh, I'll definitely be keeping in touch with <laughs> questions about yeah, all of the sure. gardening things. Yeah, and um, we are actually about to have a delicious lunch. Yes, um, which was so the sweet potatoes from your sweet garden. Potato. Did, we'll... did you end up catching the trout? Uh, I'm not. We didn't, but Steve and the boys might have while okay. we've been talking. Nice, hopefully, nice. Oh, but that's not for that's not for lunch. Actually, no, I think no. he's cooking it up though for you as well. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, so basically mostly homegrown lunch. And yeah. so, you know, we've got to experience seeing your garden, um, get you digging the stuff out, catching the trout. I didn't get to see catching the trout, but I, <laughs> I think they were doing that while we're podcasting. But and then having that on the table to eat and yeah, the gratitude. I imagine the gratitude yeah. that comes with every meal would be pretty, pretty amazing when you do it like that. Hey, absolutely. Like no words, you know, it's just so rewarding and so fresh and you know where it's grown and yeah. Amazing. Tastes better. Yep. (laughs) And so that actually, that that lunch is coming up soon, but um, I wanted to just quickly talk about your experience with surfing because I'm, uh, (laughs) you mentioned that in the workshop yesterday is what you like to do for fun. It was a big part of what you like to do for fun. And I've been exploring it. Um, a fair bit more, well, not as, still not as much as I'd like to, cause I don't live at the coast and that makes it harder. Um, but you know, through all the balance training that I've done has given me a good foundation and exploring surfing has also been very humbling because, you know, you can balance on a beam or a wobble board, hmm. but it, there's a whole other dynamic to surfing and being able to read the waves and, yeah. and it it's certainly higher risk because yeah. if you get dumped pretty badly, it can be, um, it can be bad, but yeah, I thought I'd just hear about to finish up uh, mm-hmm. and I'd love to do a follow-up podcast as well next time we're down, but, um, just talk to me about your, your experience with surfing and if you've got any tips or oh, what level oh, are you at with surfing? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just take that right back. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, no, look, <laughs> I can stand up. <laughs> nice. Um, I'm more of a longboard girl, so the shortboard fiberglass isn't my style. I usually surf at road night, which has these down along the Great Ocean Road, which has these beautiful waves 
and you catch them at the point and you can almost ride like 400 meters along wow. on a longboard. So that's my style of surfing. Love that. <laughs> uh, no, I don't really have any tips, James. <laughs> no. Just keep doing I, it. Yeah, just love. I just love being in the water whether I catch a wave or not. And yeah. my boys love it too. So it's really beautiful bonding time that mm. we have out there um, sitting in the ocean and just catching waves. I did go to Urban Surf recently, the – you know the like oh, the, Andy mentioned that yeah the new one in Tullamarine that was quite terrifying really because yeah, yeah, right. I was probably in the category that was a bit out of my league and mm. it's it's just so unnatural in a way because you're right in this point of like this basically a swimming pool and then this wave just comes at you whereas in the actual ocean you know you can decide if you're going to catch it or not but here you've got like 20 people lined up waiting for you to jump on a yeah. wave so it's still great to have that for city people to be able to access surfing. For sure. But um, no tips. No Maybe tips. my husband's more experienced oh, really? than me. Okay, I'll ask yeah, you. I mean, I've been doing it for quite a few years, but um, not on a consistent yeah. basis. If I lived near the ocean, I would be there every day. Yeah. Even if there's no waves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is actually, there's something just about being at the beach and mm. the ocean. Like you said, it's the perfect spot for barefooting, you know, the textures of the sand and yeah. everything. And, and the ocean itself is like a very earthing, grounding oh, place. Amazing. Um, you know, on that sort of physiological level in terms of the negative ions mm-hmm. that you receive and, and, and just being immersed in that. And I think everyone sort of intuitively knows that feeling of the ocean is nice and the fresh air so and the, the sea air and this, um, the sun and bare feet on earth. Like that's why everyone goes to the beach yeah. on holidays. Like people... People intuitively know it, whether or not they know the science behind it and the physiology mm-hmm. behind it or not. And I think you're right. And like, I'm at a level with surfing where it is just literally just do more of it. And, yeah. <laughs> I'll, you know, in, when it, I think it's definitely helpful to have some, some tips to get going, but if you do have a good foundation of movement and mobility mm. and balance, then it is just about getting out there. And, and obviously picking the surf like you don't want to go out just go out and see what happens (laughs) (laughs) you'll know pretty quick if the surf isn't right for you but um just gradually exposing yourself to more and more and that's what i've found and having the i think having the confidence like obviously that base of of mobility and balance is really really helpful but just then having the confidence to go, okay, if I if I crash or if mm. I fail, it's it is like a really cool meditation. Yes. Where it's the same thing that I find with the beam, but it's it's not a failure; it's a learning. Okay, mm-hmm. what did I do this time? What did I do that time? And it's not, it's not even conscious actually, because I've found that I've just fallen off enough times now that when I now catch a wave, my body just intuitively knows how yeah. to move. Yeah. Regardless of, I guess what the wave is, how to move that will give me the best chance of staying upright. Yeah. And it doesn't happen consciously because I don't really know what I'm doing, but your, yeah. your body just figures it out. And I think that's, yeah, I just love to give a lot of appreciation to the body for what it just figures out oh, for yeah. this sort of, you know, let's call it quote unquote purposeless activity. That's just play, <laughs> you know, it doesn't help your survival at all, but mm. it makes you feel really good. And it does give you a lot of, obviously a lot of health, um, health giving properties like movement and sun and air and mm. all the things we talked about but it's just so cool that the brain can figure that it's out it's amazing <laughs> yeah you're so right i was going to say that actually that the beam work and balancing absolutely helps surfing obviously yeah, yeah. <laughs> but real you can really feel it you know that just the uh, just perfect to practice it you is know? yeah um and the surfing yeah it is just totally practice like even to know where to be lying on the board. Do you know what I mean? It takes me, when I first get in the water, it takes a few times to, depending on the conditions, where I should be placed on the board. Do you mm, know what I mean? So mm. you don't nosedive or fall off the back. And mm. you're right, it's not necessarily a conscious thing as such. It's not like I'm measuring where I need to be. It's just your body feels what's right on the wave. You yeah. Know? And you'd, you'd uh, I imagine a lot of surfing people would be like, well, the beam's so different to surfing, like it wouldn't help. And I've talked to people before oh. who've been like, and it's like, no, what you're training on the beam is adaptability and you're training mm. your balance system and you're training your feet to be reactive and, you know, mm. and to provide reactive stability. And of course, the surfboard is very different and the waves are, have another dynamic. But if you, if you have, if you, if you can't balance on a beam, you're yeah. not going to balance on a surfboard. Yeah. So start on something that's a little more stable and a little easier and learn how to 
maintain stability in lots of different um, positions and like squatting down on the beam, for example, in a tandem squat or a ninja squat. And, and I've done these beam surfing movements where yeah. you sort of pop up onto the beam <laughs> and you just regain your balance. And yes, of course it's different, but you're training the adaptability of your body to uh, then allow you it's almost like a screening. Like if you can do that on the beam, you've got a much better chance of doing the surfboard. Yep. And so, yeah, again, I don't like to sort of push beams, but, you know, find something to balance <laughs> on and find, you know, I've got plenty of things on the Instagram that people can look at, you know, if, even if you just get a plank of wood that is sanded down so you don't get splinters, mm. um, plank of wood or just make your own beam and then just get around moving on that Um Great for surfing and great for pretty much anything. Yep. Foot health, ankle health, knees, hips, balance, mind. Yep. <laughs> um, so get on to that. But I guess it, it's time for us to get some lunch. Mm-hmm. I thought we'd just get people aware of where to find you if they are interested in maybe coming to see you or just in following along on your stuff. So mm-hmm. on Instagram, you are... Awakened.vibrancy. Yes, <laughs> Awakened vibrancy. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that the best place to find you? Yeah, I still haven't got a website. Ah. <laughs> so Instagram and um, yeah, my contact details are on there. Cool. So massaging from Bayswater and Collingwood. Yeah, I yeah. highly recommend getting a massage and I will be getting one, <laughs> a proper one. Proper. But even just that tiny experience, I think it's something that everyone should experience everyone should experience really yeah. and if you're in melbourne come see georgina um and yeah instagram awaken vibrancy and hopefully we'll have a follow-up podcast maybe next time we're down or sometime in the future yeah. um, about how your rewilding in suburbia stuff is coming along yeah and, and it's actually going to get published Yes. Yes. Yeah, like as, a, as a book, isn't <laughs> as it? As a book. Yes. We're working okay. on that right so now. So maybe we do a podcast when mm. when that comes out and yeah. um, chat a bit more about that whole that cool. whole aspect. Awesome. Thanks. Thank awesome. You. Thanks, James. Time to eat. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Cheers, guys.